This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everyone. Today on The Joseph Carlson Show, I'm going to be going over a company I just spent $5,000 on. I bought additional shares because I believe strongly this company's undervalued. Now, before I reveal what company this is, I threw all of my holdings out on Twitter, or X, S&P Global, MasterCard, Intuit, Microsoft, Apple, Canadian Pacific, Union Pacific, Vici, Chipotle, Texas Roadhouse, and Costco. Those are every one of my positions, and I asked, which of these is the best buy right now? And it was interesting to go through all of the responses. We had a lot of votes for Vici, a lot for companies like Texas Roadhouse, some people saying to buy more Microsoft or S&P Global, MasterCard and Apple, a couple votes for Canadian Pacific and Union Pacific, and so on. But we'll be going over which one I believe is the most undervalued in just a moment. Now, we've also had a very busy weekend full of drama. In fact, it's been a little bit of a crazy weekend with what's been happening with OpenAI and Microsoft. If you've been following this news, you'll know that Sam Altman was ousted from OpenAI by the board. They literally just fired him over the weekend on a Friday evening. Now, Altman is someone that I've talked about as being the key guy that's built OpenAI to the success it's had right now. It is one of the most incredibly fast-growing products ever. He is over the release of all of these products, like ChatGPT. So Sam was fired by the board for reasons that were unclear, and then the entire company united under Sam. In fact, around half the total employees of the company signed an open letter saying that the entire board should step down or they're all leaving. They're all bouncing to a different company. From the Wall Street Journal, OpenAI employees threaten to quit unless the board resigns. This is chaos. Where are these employees going to go? Where are all the key figures going to go? Where is Sam Altman going to go now? Well, fortune would have it that Sam Altman would use his leverage and join Microsoft. That's right, as recent as this morning, Satya Nadella has hired Sam Altman and every key figure of the OpenAI team, all the ones responsible for the main releases over the past five years. They now work for Microsoft and a new specialized AI team. So this is huge news. It's all very fresh happening just this morning. And I'll be going over what this news means for the future of Microsoft. Now, finally, on a different subject, we have the Formula One race that happened in Vegas. As we know in my portfolio, we have Vici as a major holding. This is a position that's really beaten up recently. It's sold down because of interest rates, but Vici is a real estate company that owns basically all the properties on the strip. They own almost everything except for the Bellagio. The Formula One race was something to showcase all of Vegas's properties and draw more attention to the city. So whether or not this was a success or a failure does impact Vici as an investment. We'll be going over the verdict in this episode. So we have a lot of drama to get to in this episode, a lot to jump into. This is gonna be a good one. Now, before we even start off, one quick mention. The Patreon of the Joseph Carlson Show is different than most Patreons because it includes a financial and stock analysis platform called Qualtrum.com. 
I've built this website from the ground up. I own the thing outright. It's part of something I developed to help investors get a better understanding of the fundamentals of a company. So you can clearly see in visual format all of the fundamentals over time of every single company. This website has a ton of features and different things you can do with it, and it's really intuitive and easy to use. I think you'd love it if you tried it out. And that's why I offer it for a very cheap price, 10 bucks a month, plus it comes with a free trial so you can try it out before. And included in that Patreon membership, you also gain access to the exclusive community Discord, as well as exclusive episodes. We have over 100 full episodes that you gain instant access to. So if you haven't tried that out, give it a shot. I think you'll like it. Now let's go ahead and jump into the most recent purchase I just made. I want to preface this by saying that we've recently gone through an incredible rally. An incredible rally in stocks. For example, in my portfolio, just in the past 30 days, if I filter in the past one month, I am up $47,600, almost 10%. The S&P 500 is up quite a bit in the past month as well. It's up 7.5%. So stocks in general have really jumped in the past 30 days. And even year to date, we're up almost 22%, which is $87,000. So with this recent rebound and year performance, it creates a lot of excitement with investors. When investors get excited, they get greedy. And the Fair and Greed Index, which tracks the sentiment of investors, it has swung from fair to greed. Some of the companies in my portfolio that I recently bought into, as recent as this year, they've really taken off. All of these high quality companies have done incredibly well. The restaurant category also continues to perform. And best of all this year is in the tech category. Microsoft and Apple being the goats, up $18,000 and Apple up $26,000. Now that's great, but what happens in these situations? When we see these stocks, we just wanna buy more of them because they're doing so well. And you feel like if you don't own enough of it, you might miss out on future gains. This is the normal psychology of investors. We look at the recent rearview mirror, we see what was performing well over the past month or the past six months, and we buy more and more of those stocks. And in many cases, it feels good in the short term because those price movements will continue to go up with momentum as more and more investors pile into the same stocks. Warren Buffett has talked about this same exact phenomenon over and over again. He says investors start to lose track of the intrinsic value, the fundamentals and the cash flow, and they simply pile into whatever has recently done well, pushing up the price further and further and further. While at the same time, the stocks that have done poorly over the past year, they've been passed up by investors, they have no attention paid to them, those are ones that investors continue to ignore. So their price and momentum stays flat. In this case, that is the railroads. These are rail companies that I've owned for about a year now, and they really have gone nowhere. Union Pacific slightly in the green, Canadian Pacific's in the red since buying it. I'm down $2,300. Let's take a look at a visual representation here. Here's the year-to-date price performance of every stock. At the very bottom is Vici. But Vici's a special case because they pay the majority of their returns in dividends, around a 6 to 7% yield. So when you factor in dividends, it's actually not down 10%. What we do have right next to it is Canadian Pacific. This company is down 5% year to date. While most companies in my portfolio are doing fine, around half of the holdings are up over 30% year to date. Now, when I look at this on a technical indicator that measures momentum, the 200 day moving average, which tells you what type of companies people are piling into and which ones they have abandoned, we can again see that they've abandoned two companies. First of all, Vici, which I already have a very large stake in, and then second of all, Canadian Pacific. 
These are companies that nobody wants to touch right now. They don't want to own these stocks. Everyone right now wants Intuit, Microsoft, Chipotle, S&P Global, Apple, and Costco. These are the ones they want to dive into, and the prices have moved up substantially. But as an investor that wants to stay disciplined and rational, unemotional, I need to look at this from an analytical, objective perspective. When I look at the risk and reward, Canadian Pacific offers the best risk reward for my portfolio today. So that's where I added $5,000. I increased my stake from $23,000 to $28,000, using up around a third of my total cash balance. So I still have some cash if this company continues to trail down, but I now have increased my position because I think it offers far more upside than downside. And what I wanna do real quickly is go over the basic bullet points of why I believe this company will outperform based on today's price. I know Canadian Pacific is a boring company. It's a railroad. It's about as boring as it gets. But if you listen to this for one minute, I think there is a compelling investment case here. On a base level, we're looking for monopolistic companies. And we know that Canadian Pacific is a class one railroad, which all of them are basically an oligopoly. An oligopoly is like a monopoly shared. It's a monopoly split between a couple different companies. First of all, it's incredibly difficult to even start a railroad. If a different company tried to start one, it costs so much money, there's so much red tape that they'd have to go through, and then they would suffer a significant cost disadvantage against the existing highly efficient railroads. Railroads are so efficient, so incredibly efficient, that they have quadrupled the efficiency of the next form of transportation. So if you take anything across the ocean, anything through the air, or anything through a truck, at the very best, they come up to one-fourth the level of cost efficiency as rail. That gap is substantial, and there is no indication that that gap will close over the next 20 or even 100 years. EV trucks are not going to close the gap of efficiency between a truck and a rail. It's simply too wide. And that is one of the biggest factors of why these class one railroads have been outperforming the market over the past 10 years. They are not only monopolistic and they have high barriers to entry, but they have a significant cost advantage, giving them huge leverage over other forms of transportation. The next catalyst that I would mention in terms of future growth potential of Canadian Pacific goes along with all different rail companies which is it is undeniable right now that the U.S. is more focused on onshoring their manufacturing than they've ever been before. We're at odds with some countries like China. We've seen this tense relationship between Apple and China. Apple wants to diversify their manufacturing outside of China because they feel like there's a concentration of risk there. There is more onshoring of manufacturing right now, and that trend looks like it's going to continue in the future. And we also know more specifically with Canadian Pacific that this company recently just had a merger that was approved. It's gone through around two quarters now, and this was a great merger for Canadian Pacific. They merged with Kansas City Southern. The reason this merger was so good is because there was very little overlap in rail, meaning that they basically doubled their rail line. They expanded it all the way from Canada to the US down to Mexico with very little overlap. This is another convenience factor, making it so that they have an easier time gaining contracts and being more competitive with trucking companies. They're also looking at using the rail to ship people as a train. That's sometimes what these companies can do. They 
can have dual uses and they have been doing that for a long period of time. So on a broad level, I think that there's a lot of things working in the trends of rail companies. And that's the reason that I have two different positions in them, Union Pacific and Canadian Pacific. But Canadian Pacific is a little bit more unique in the growth potential this company has in particular because of the recent merger. There's a lot of potential here that's even unique amongst other rail companies. I read over the investor day presentation from Canadian Pacific and I wanna share a few points here. This is something where I don't feel like most investors, at least retail investors, are gonna spend the time to read. This thing is 122 pages long and we're on page 116 right now. This is the long-term future growth potential of Canadian Pacific. And this goes out to 2028. This is what their predictions are for their earnings per share growth. They're predicting double digit core adjusted EPS growth, high single digit revenue growth, and free cash flow conversion of 90%. They're predicting a return to double-digit adjusted ROIC. So we're seeing expansion and returns on capital employed back to double digits, free cash flow conversions of 90%, which is incredibly good, and of course, the double-digit earnings per share growth is incredible. Now that's great that they have earnings per share growth, but we also want free cash flow growth. Now check this out. One page further down, they have right here their annual CapEx spend projections. Over the next five years, they're basically saying that their capex is going to remain flat 2.6 billion through 2.8 billion every single year. So they're growing revenue, growing earnings per share, and they're keeping their expenses, their capex completely flat on a total basis. It's going to be around this range for the next five years. That is incredible. If you piece these two pieces of data together, that means that Canadian Pacific is going to double their earnings per share over the next five years. So we could see their earnings per share going from around $3.77 to around $7 in 2028. Doubling the earnings per share, of course, would be great for the stock, but we also want to look at the cash flows. If you piece together that same information, the CapEx being flat with those growth metrics and with those margins, that implies roughly a growth rate of the high teens in free cash flow over the next five years. They're expecting almost a 20% annualized free cash flow per share growth until 2028. Doubling earnings per share and growing free cash flow per share at 20% per year, that's pretty fast growth, especially for a company that's currently trading at a low 20 PE ratio. Given the forecast from management, this is not an expensive price. In fact, this is underpricing the company currently. Now, one part of this that you might point out that's a downside to this story is that this company contains a lot more leverage than most of my holdings. Right now, it has a lot of debt and only a tiny bit of cash. The net debt to last year's EBITDA is roughly 3.8 times. So Canadian Pacific is more indebted than most companies I own. But let's go ahead and address this again on this Investor Day presentation. Management has addressed this problem. They are projecting alongside the substantial earnings per share growth, free cash flow per share growth, but also that their leverage ratio will improve dramatically over time, going from 3.8 times down to three times next year, and then all the way down to 2.5 times. So they are actively delevering this business while growing its earnings substantially. Now you may think the management's giving forecasts that are unattainable or unrealistic, and that's a very valid concern because a lot of companies do that. You can't always trust the management team or the CEOs with what they say is going to happen in the future. But in the case of Canadian Pacific, this is a CEO that has a long track record of under-promising and over-delivering. He has under-promised his projections 
routinely in the past. And my prediction is that he set up this same type of scenario. He's given projections where he's very confident he can come in above. So that's a basic investment case for Canadian Pacific. Monopolistic company, has incredibly fast growth projections, a CEO that has walked the walk before. And I think the company's also trading at a very good valuation with limited downside. And this is brought to you by a market that does not want anything to do with these companies right now. Canadian Pacific has been flat basically all year. And then recently over the past month, as everything has raced up, Canadian Pacific has gone down. So this is when I'm buying, when nobody else wants to own this company, when it seems like it's boring and it's being left behind. That's when I'll happily buy more of this company, increase my share count of it, and then do the difficult thing, which is to sit on my hands and wait. And that's what I plan on doing with Canadian Pacific. Now let's go ahead and move on to the big drama with OpenAI. Let me first give a quick summary of what's happened. Sam Altman, this guy, the one that did that awesome OpenAI presentation just a week ago. Most people haven't heard of Sam Altman, but everyone has heard of ChatGPT. So the fact that he grew this company, OpenAI, from being a company nobody knew about to one that's valued at $80 billion and doing a billion dollars in revenue and has hundreds of millions of users every single week, and he accomplished this in a number of years, that is really incredible. That is a level of growth and leadership and product release and strategy that a lot of CEOs would love to have. So right now, this is like the AI guy. He's like the final boss in AI and his team below him that is incredibly loyal. They're all the ones that are over these specific products. He has people right below him that are over the development of ChatGPT, over all the different features in it. They report to Sam, but they're all critical in making this product. Now you might think that OpenAI is like an AI company with thousands and thousands of employees, but that's not really true. The reason we think that is because we have companies like Google that literally have 190,000 employees. So you might not think that any one employee is too critical to Google. They can lose a number of employees. They can lose 5,000 employees and Google will be fine. But OpenAI is different. OpenAI is an incredibly talent-dense company where only a handful, a few incredibly important employees really do the majority of the work. There's a couple employees that know enough to get the product built in the right way. And even at the company itself, there's only a couple thousand employees. So it's not a big company to begin with. Now, after hearing that, you'd think it's important to keep Sam and his team at OpenAI. But the board over the weekend fired him. They canned him immediately on a Friday evening without giving Microsoft or anyone else advance notice. And the reasons that they did it are a little bit unknown. Apparently they had some accusations that were completely unfounded. They had no evidence of the accusations. In fact, they couldn't even provide a written form of what the board was accusing Sam of doing. And this made the OpenAI team and all of Sam's loyal followers furious to where they've written a letter to the OpenAI board. They say to the board of directors at OpenAI, OpenAI is the world's leading AI company. We, the employees of OpenAI, have developed the best models and pushed the field to new frontiers. Our work on AI safety, the governance, shapes global norms. The products we build are used by millions of people around the world. Until now, the company we work for and cherish has never been in a stronger position. The process through which you terminated Sam Altman and removed Greg Brockman from the board has jeopardized all of this work and undermined our mission and the company. Your conduct has made it clear that you did not have the competence to oversee OpenAI. When we all unexpectedly learned of your decision, the leadership team at OpenAI acted swiftly to stabilize the company. They carefully listened to your concerns and tried to cooperate with you on all grounds. Despite many requests for specific facts of your allegations, you have never provided any written evidence. They also increasingly realize that you're not capable of carrying out your duties. 
and were negotiating in bad faith. The leadership team suggests that the most stabilizing path forward, the one that best serves our mission, the companies, the stakeholders, and employees in the public, would be for you to resign and put in place a qualified board that could lead the company forward in stability. Leadership worked with you around the clock to find a mutually agreed upon outcome. Yet within two days of your initial decision, you again replaced the interim CEO against the best interests of the company. You also informed the leadership team that allowing the company to be destroyed would be, quote, consistent with the mission. Your actions have made it obvious that you're incapable of overseeing OpenAI. We are unable to work for or with people that lack competence, judgment, and care for our mission and employees. We, the undersigned, may choose to resign from OpenAI and join the newly announced Microsoft subsidiary run by Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. Microsoft has assured us that there are positions for all OpenAI employees at this new subsidiary, should we choose to join. We will take this step eminently unless all current board members resign and the board appoints two new lead independent directors, such as Brett Taylor and Will Hurd, and reinstates Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. Then underneath this, they have the signatures, which they literally have all of the names of 500 key employees of OpenAI. So in summary, this board of four people over OpenAI fired the key figure, Sam Altman, over unsubstantiated evidence and didn't have the courtesy to give their biggest financial partner, Microsoft, who owns 49% of the company, any advance notice of their decision. That was the judgment that this board took. To give you an idea of just how bad this is, first of all, when you're firing someone as important to the company as Sam Altman, you need to have a process in place. You need to substantiate the accusations you're going to make against them. If you're going to fire someone like Sam Altman, you better have some evidence, some good reason. And the reasons they came up with were not substantiated and not convincing. Secondly, if you're going to fire someone like Sam Altman that runs the company that Microsoft just decided they're going to put $10 billion into, and at this point has not even written a real check for that amount of money, they've not handed over the $10 billion, you may want to notify your biggest investor, financial supporter, and the company you're relying on to run your servers before making such a critical decision. This was a slap in the face to Satya Nadella to not give him advance notice. This is almost indefensible at this point. I mean, I'd love to talk to these board members and just see what was going through their mind. Are they serious with this level of critical thinking and judgment? At least one of them recognizes the disaster they've caused, saying, quote, I deeply regret my participation in the board's actions. I never intended to harm OpenAI. I love everything we've built together and I'll do everything I can to reunite the company. That is a nice, sincere apology. And I think that that does mean something, but it doesn't undo this level of a disaster. This has all been a dramatic disaster, and it doesn't look like it's going to be a happy ending for OpenAI. Sam Altman is not coming back to OpenAI. In fact, he said that he's joining Microsoft, along with every other key figure. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella posted on X this morning, quote, we remain committed to our partnership with OpenAI and have confidence in our product roadmap our ability to continue to innovate with everything we've announced at Microsoft Ignite, and in continuing to support our customers and partners. We look forward to getting to know Emmett Scheer and OpenAI's new leadership team and working with them. And we're extremely excited to share the news that Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, together with colleagues, will be joining Microsoft to lead a new advanced AI research team. 
We look forward to moving quickly to provide them with the resources needed for their success. It is official. Sam Altman and all of his most important colleagues, they were the ones over the development of ChatGPT and every other major OpenAI product, have already moved over to Microsoft to work for Satya Nadella. But Microsoft has continued to keep their stake in OpenAI itself. After this announcement from Satya Nadella, Sam reposted his post and said, quote, the mission continues. That is where we are right now. The market right now, I think appropriately, likes the dramatic conclusion of these events. It's up currently 1.96% at $377 per share. So Microsoft is on a roll and this has not hurt them at all. When the news was initially announced that Sam was fired from OpenAI, Microsoft went down around 2%. And then when the news came out, of course, that he's moving directly to Microsoft, where they'll have full control over what he does and the governance and giving him all of the resources he needs, now it's back up 2%. So you can see the weight that people are giving Sam Altman to Microsoft. OpenAI, as well as the development of new AI products, is incredibly important to the growing future of Microsoft. They mix all of this technology, all of this research, into all of their massive product offering that they already have huge distribution with. So this one individual, Sam, can have a very outsized impact on the overall future of Microsoft. This is why I came out with an episode 11 days ago called Microsoft is Now Unstoppable with Sam Altman's face right on the cover of it. They get to continue keeping their stake in the ownership and future technology that's developed from OpenAI. So they still have that partnership they're still going to develop new tools in OpenAI, but the massive exodus of top talent in OpenAI is going to obviously leave a dent in that company. Their development will be slowed, but that's not too bad when the top talent moves from OpenAI over to Microsoft directly. Now they own it directly and they'll have governance that's much better than the governance at OpenAI. So I think overall, this has been an embarrassing weekend for the OpenAI board. I think it's been far too drama-filled than what a company should be going through, but I think this is the best possible ending for Microsoft. And I believe on the long-term future, this will likely mean a better future for them than had Sam stayed directly at OpenAI, because now he is part of the Microsoft team with literally unlimited resources. Satya Nadella has promised him that he'll be very well taken care of there. Now, when I back up from this drama a little bit and I look at Microsoft overall as an investment, this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important to look at the qualities of a company, especially the CEO of the company, the person leading it. In this case, Satya Nadella. I've been singing the praises of Satya Nadella for a long period of time. He is an incredibly good CEO. He's incredibly skilled. He's incredibly talented, competent. But another thing that he has that other CEOs lack in many cases is that he's genuine, he's charming, he's likable, he's approachable. He's someone that wins over even his harshest critics. There's people like Kara Swisher who are known for grilling CEOs, putting them under the heat lamp. She's done that with Mark Zuckerberg. She's very open and not really liking Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or a lot of CEOs in Silicon Valley. She gives them a very hard time. She said openly she likes Satya Nadella more than the others. He is a charming, genuine, skilled communicator that can win over people onto his side. And that's an incredibly powerful skill set when you pair him with leading a company like Microsoft that has basically infinite resources. So you have at the top of this company, one of the best CEOs in the world that can work bad situations like the one we've had this weekend into a very positive outcome. This is something that you can't bake in to the PE ratio or the valuation of a company. If you're looking at the free cash flow per share metrics, the PE ratio and the price to sales, 
You can come up with discounted cash flow analysis, but you can't come up with a valuation for someone like Satya Nadella. That is stuff that goes outside of the DCFs and needs to be factored in because this type of event does have a big impact on the future fundamentals, on the future cash flows, and the price movement of the company. So I don't believe that Microsoft presents the deepest valuation or best valuation today, but I'm going to continue to hold this company as long as Satya Nadella is leading it and the fundamentals look this good. This company has a winning hand on their side. And this last weekend was more evidence of this winning hand. Now moving on, we know that Formula One happened over the weekend and it got off to a really bad start. One of the cars went over an unsecured drain or one that wasn't sealed properly. It damaged the vehicle and then it delayed the practice race by around eight hours, making it so a lot of people had to return to their rooms early, only seeing nine minutes of practice. And at the time, there's already quite a bit of criticism of having this race in Vegas in the first place. A lot of people saying that the race is going to be boring, it's going to be lame, it's not going to be exciting like a real dedicated racetrack that's purpose-built. So this was the worst way possible to start off the weekend. I was hoping things would go at least somewhat smooth for the remainder of the weekend, and especially the main race. Well, the results are in, and many people are calling that race extraordinary. It was action-packed, it was exciting, there were tons of overtakes. The first place player that won the event was knocked down to seventh place at one point and had to rework his way, overtaking all the way back to first place. Even on a more individual basis, some of the people that were the most critical of it on the Formula One subreddit said it was the best race of the year. Mega race, Las Vegas critics are in absolute shambles. Viva Las Vegas. The on-track action was so good that we barely saw any celebrity garage shots. All things considered with the event, this was actually a pretty darn good race. Vegas actually delivered. Great race. Been a while since the chaos descended upon us. I would like to formally apologize to Vegas Grand Prix. I was not familiar with your game. Race of the year for me. Also, the camera shots were absolutely amazing. I think it really showed how fast these cars are and how close they are to each other. The overwhelming consensus is that people like this race overall. It was one of the better ones of the season. And that's a very positive thing if they're going to showcase Vegas during this race. So there's certainly areas that they can improve on in the future. First of all, checking the track better next time. But overall, it did end up being a success. Fans loved it. Celebrities endorsed it. It got a lot of media attention and a lot of new revenue put in Vegas. Now, being an investor in Vici, this is an investment highly concentrated on the Vegas Strip. That is literally the main street that they race down. A mile of the race is the Vegas Strip, which Vici almost outright owns. So this event does impact Vici as an investment. You may think that those are a little bit disconnected, but they are tied together. Vici's reliant on their tenants being profitable and being able to pay rent for the next 40 years. The reason that Vegas as an entertainment center can get damaged in the future is by not having a diverse offering of entertainment. For example, historically Vegas was reliant on one form of entertainment, which is gambling. Gambling was the main reason people went to Vegas. Then they started to offer more attractions like shows. You could see lots of different shows in Vegas. So they had two different forms of diversification and experiences. Then Vegas started to become one of the best places to go to Michelin star restaurants and see the best chefs in the world. Their restaurant game is unsurpassed by any other city. They have a concentration of a wide variety of five-star rated Michelin star restaurants. So now they have three forms. Then they started doing sports. 
That's another thing that Vegas is doing to diversify their experiences. You have a hockey team, football team, they're going into golf, and now they've also introduced Formula One. Formula One is a mega rich sport that attracts some of the wealthiest people in the world that are not sensitive to interest rates or economic condition. They'll continue to support Formula One during any economic time. So that's another diversification for Vegas and for Vici. And then even on top of that, they're also diversifying with things like the Sphere into artists like U2 performing at the Sphere. So now they have other forms of entertainment as well. As we move past one into five different forms of entertainment, this all makes the tenants of Vici more durable in their income stream, more diversified, more resilient, and less likely to go bankrupt during an economic slowdown. So I view this type of development as a positive thing for the Vici investor. Vici has not performed well this year with interest rates going up rapidly. It is a long duration interest rate sensitive investment, but I continue to hold Vici because I feel the tenant roster is getting stronger by the day. The income line is contractual based. There's incremental rent raises, and this company pays me massive dividends that grow every single year. So that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want extra content, make sure to join the Patreon. Other than that, I'll see you in the next one.